This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. So as the weather warms up, we're outside gardening or doing yard work. There are so many opportunities for skin issues, right? And for me, it's always a mystery to know what's going to irritate my skin, but I'm definitely out there itching and scratching. But the good news is active skin repair always seems to save the day. Active skin repair can be used to treat a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, and other types of skin damage. It's also safe and non-toxic, making it suitable for use on all skin types, all parts of the body, and even on rosacea, eczema, and acne-prone skin. Here's what I want you to do. Visit ActiveSkinRepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and get 20% off your order when you use code JOYFUL. Again, that's www.ActiveSkinRepair.com. Find out more about the product and get 20% off your order when you use the code JOYFUL. Hey friends, welcome back to Becoming Sproutable, a limited podcast series that takes you through the biggest tools and concepts of parenting with positive discipline. I am Casey O'Rourke, positive discipline lead trainer, parent coach, adolescent lead at Sproutable.com, host of the Joyful Courage podcast and mom of two real life teenagers. And I'm joined by my sweet sister from another mister and co-host Julietta Skoog, also a positive discipline trainer, parent coach, early years lead at besproutable.com and mom to three, a little, a middle and a tween. Hi, Jules. Hi, Casey. How fun. I'm so excited to be back. I know. Look at us. We're doing it. We really are. Hi, listeners. Hey, before we get into it, because I always love to hear your stories, and I feel like you're my preview to the adolescent <laughs> years. It's like I'm tuning into the next episode. What? Uh, what's your latest parenting story you got for me? Yeah. So I came prepared. Um, last week, I shared a little bit of the ongoing you know, screen drama with my 16-year-old. This week, I have a story about my 18, soon to be like days away from 19. Um, she's 19 this month. It's her golden birthday, which is so weird. Anyway, she is all about tattoos. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Just like every other kid her age in this generation. Well, maybe not every other, but you know, she's she's all about the tattoos. And just so everybody knows, like my husband and I both have tattoos. My husband has a very large piece on his back. We aren't anti. We're not anti. But, you know, I mean, tattoos are forever. I think I got my first tattoo. I was like 38 years old. I came from a household who was basically the message was tattoos are trash and people who have tattoos are trash. And that really was internalized. So it took me a long time to just pick like, what is it? What do I want forever? And then I, I got there and anyway, now I'm all tatted up. No, that's not true, but I do have a couple pieces. So now I, here's my child who has the gift of being in this household where fullest expression is totally celebrated and making your own decisions is totally celebrated. And she's like, you know, she's gotten like three since she turned to 18 which the first one was this really cool Sanskrit symbol on her inner wrist for breath. 
which I think is really special for her because she definitely, you know, weaves in and out of anxiety. So that was meaningful. Then she had like a whole flock of butterflies put on kind of around it, around her wrist. And then she got a piece on her upper arm with a this beautiful moon sunflower. I mean, it's tasteful, but I'm like, oh, babe, you don't know how you're going to feel about this. Like, just give it, wait till you're 25, like give it a little bit of time. And it's super hard. So literally she got her first tattoo the day she turned 18. And so we had a conversation about it the other day. She said, I'm going to get another piece on my birthday. And I thought, I'm just going to stay really neutral. And like, I'm, you know, being in curiosity, like, oh, tell me more. And she looked at me and she rolled her eyes. She's like, mom, you are so obvious. It's so, and I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm, my face is neutral. Like, I'm not, what do you, what do you mean? She said, you know, I can tell that you don't want me to do that and that you have all your things about it. And I said, listen, you know what? I love you. You know my spiel. I'm not going to say it again. And at the end of the day, you're the one that's living with the tattoos. So that'll be yours and not mine. And so it's cool. And I felt pretty good about that. I felt really good about that, even though I wanted to take her by the shoulders and be like, it's permanent. You know what? It's hers. It's hers. It's hers. So I'm letting it go. And isn't that, is that hard to really, like, even though inside you don't want her to do it, that you, is that so hard to let that go? Yeah. It's very hard. I'm, I mean, but she gives me so many opportunities to practice that and has for the last few years, you know, has given me so many opportunities to come back to like, this is hers. This is her journey. You know, like I, I have to release and allow and remember just like the, just like the things that I was doing as a teen, as a young adult, like had nothing to do with my parents. It had everything to do with the journey that I was on. And she's on her journey and, you know, she's loves tattoos. She has really good taste. I get to let it go and, and, uh, celebrate how awesome she is. And I think what's can be tricky because we know within the positive discipline realm, we talk about always wanting the message of love to come through. Mm -hmm. And so even within, this isn't the choice that I would make for you. It's not the choice I would make for myself at this age. And I love you no matter what. And I will yeah. always love you. That's, that's And I will hold your hand if you have to get them removed. However, I won't pay for it. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. I, I mean, that. well, and <laughs> I'll tell you, my sister snuck one in when she was 17 somehow and then spent a lot of money later getting it all off her back. Let's just mm. that. But, um, and, but I think that's the hard part. It's not the hard part about like letting it go. It's like, how do we still let the message of love come through? Yeah. In this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Dropping the judgment and being in the love. Love it. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Thank God. Spring into summer is my favorite time of year. After turning 50 last September, I've been really working on my physical health and well-being and can honestly say that I am feeling better in my body than I have felt in a very long time. Yes, credit goes to movement and working out, but even more credit goes to how I'm feeding my body. That's why I love Factor. I fuel up with Factor's no prep, no mess meals, 
35 different meal choices and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, I always have a new flavor to explore. It's amazing. You can crush your wellness goals this May, keep time in the kitchen to a minimum, and enjoy effortless support for the lifestyle you want to be living with dietitian approved meals and ingredients you can trust from Factor. Head over to factormeals.com slash joyful50 and use the code joyful50 to get 50% off your first First box plus 20% off your next month. That's code joyful50 at factormeals.com slash joyful50. Again, that's 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Yes, yes, yes. Join me. Join me in the health revolution and feel really good this summer. Hey friends, as a podcast listener myself, I always get so excited to share when I find a new show that I think is super useful. So today I want to tell you about Understood Explains. This is a podcast that tackles one important topic per season. And this season is all about navigating individualized education plans and is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Urtube. Getting the support our kids need in school can feel tricky, and we aren't always sure what it is that they need. When I listened to the episode titled, Does My Child Need an IEP? It offered up so much useful information that I could really see supporting parents who are in this consideration. The host is so knowledgeable and really breaks down the content in a way that helps listener go from completely overwhelmed to actually starting to feel empowered. Other episodes in the series highlight the difference between IEPs and 504 plans, as well as a whole episode that busts common myths about special education. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Understood Explains. So check it out. You won't be sorry. What about you? What about you? Good stories? Well, on the, on the other end, I mean, I was just thinking about yesterday when I found Leanna had dr- drawn all over the beam and I had to, even though my lid was slipping, I also had to let the message of love come through that I will love you no matter what, even when you destroy things. <laughs> and she said, and I love you even when you're making a mean face. And I was like, oh, <laughs> thanks, Leanna. Yeah. But I have to say my- Those story- are related. Our kids know, like we oh, think we're all God. in it and they're like- I see you. For sure. My kids will straight up say like, I just, I don't want a positive discipline like answer right now. Like I want you to be, you know, then like yeah. sometimes they just want us to just, cause they, cause you know what? You get off easier when you just give a yeah. consequence or just a, it's a lot easier than having to process and role play and take responsibility and relook at our guidelines and add it to the family meeting agenda and then save up for the repair. I mean, all that stuff. And I'm like, uh-uh. that's what I will say. My students, um, maybe this will be my old story for today. My students on the playground, when I would do recess duty, which wasn't often because a lot of times Ugh, recess a, duty was the worst. Well, for my, in my experience, in your experience, but for me as a psychologist and counselor, that was often where I got the best observations of kids and where I got to have a pulse on it because usually I would be having those friendship groups and things during recess. So they weren't missing mm-hmm. class. But when I was out there, and kids would have a problem, they'd come up to tattle or to have me fix, you know, something as elementary school kids do. 
half the time they would see me and then be like, uh-uh, we could solve our own problem. Cause they knew if they came to scoop, I was like going to get them in the ring. They were going to have to do a bug and a wish, hear both sides, do reflective listening, like come up with a win-win solution, practice it. I mean, I would was going to spend the whole recess with them working it through, you know? Um, so yeah, one cute little story I'll share just from yesterday. Cause it's on my brain and we're, um, I know this is going to air after the holidays, but you know, one thing that we try to teach during the holidays, of course, as all parents do is that it's also the spirit of giving. So I had my special time with Leona, my four-year-old yesterday and said, okay, so let's make a present for, for Vi. What does she, what does she like? You know, get curious, like build that awareness. What does she like? And she goes, she thought for a minute, she goes, she likes books. I said, she does. She's super into Harry Potter right now. This is my nine-year-old. And Leona goes, she loves thick books. And so in my mind, I'm like, awesome. We're going to order like another, you know, a book real quick. We'll be done. And she goes, I got it. Let's make her a thick book. And I thought, (laughs) oh my God, no, let's not. Um, But in that, but then I had to shift and think, what is this an opportunity to teach and to learn? And how can we be flexible? How can I talk to the yes brain and say yes? And we did, Casey. I took a bunch of paper, folded it in half. And I said, what do you want to name it? She came up with some hilarious name like King Owen and Violet Land. And then I realized a four-year-old can't tell me a long story. So I got these, we have these creative story cards, which for your listeners are so helpful for early years. And they're just pictures. They're not, they have nothing on it. And I said, all right, start telling me a story. And she just kept holding up a card as I wrote the most hilarious thing. And then about halfway through, she goes, I'm tired. I said, I am so (laughs) We paused, we paused, we put it away. And um, so it's going to be pretty cute that she wrote this like thick book for her nine-year-old sister. I love that. I love that. So as we move into today's topic, I just want to revisit really quick. So at the very start of this series, we had a little teaser and Julietta shared the five criteria for positive discipline. So if you're jumping in this week and you didn't listen to that, you can go back, but I'm also going to just do a quick rundown. The five criteria of positive discipline, when we're talking about capital P, capital D, positive discipline, here's five things to remember. Positive discipline is kind and firm at the same time. It helps children feel a sense of belonging and significance. It is effective in the long term. It teaches valuable social and life skills for good character. And it invites children to discover how capable they are and to use personal power in constructive ways. So I just wanted to drop that in to our, you know, the soup that we're making today because our topic, the concept we're going to play with today, Julietta, you want to share? What is it? Sure. Yep. It's around the belief behind behavior. Yeah. No, it's no big deal. (laughs) No big deal. We can, we can bust this out in 20 minutes. Yeah. Belief behind behavior. Well, and this is what, like, I mean, it's, it sounds very ethereal, like the belief behind behavior, what does that even mean? And what do, I mean, behavior is behavior, you know, especially Mm -hmm. someone for both of you and I that come from an education background where we were taught behavior modification and we were taught very, you know, specific things that change behavior on the surface. Well, and most of us were raised with that style, right? Like when you do the wrong thing, something bad happens to you. Mm-hmm. And when you do the right thing, you will be rewarded. That's right. And I think this is where 
I so appreciate you revisiting those five criteria that really lead into this belief behind behavior because I think people, the misnomer about positive discipline is that if we're just nice, then kids will follow along like ducklings and for, and that it is very permissive and nobody has to have icky feelings or anything like that. And when you laid out those criteria like that, we are reminded that discipline means to teach. What are we mm-hmm. teaching? And in order to teach, we have to really understand what is going on below the surface. So the the behavior is just that tip of the iceberg, to use that overused metaphor. And Love it. Leave behind There's a reason it's overused. It's well, useful. <laughs> it's effective. And that what is going on underneath that's driving that behavior, that's creating that behavior. And this is where the wisdom of Adlerian psychology comes in as the foundation to positive discipline. It wasn't just a book that was written by a mom who had seven kids. You know, it was deeply rooted as Jane Nelson and Lynn Lott came from their training with Adlerian psychology. And where Adlerian psychology became so radical in its approach to behavior is that they said it is driven by a need for significance and belonging. And people were like, what? Behavior is actually has purpose. You know, it's not just a random urges. So when we're thinking about that with kids, we can unpack that more to say like, where is this, where is this behavior coming from? What's driving this behavior? And, um, and think about their need for significance. Do I matter? Can I contribute? Their mm-hmm. sense of belonging, to, you know, within relationship, we are such socially wired creatures. We are socially wired creatures. And so we learn through relationship, in relationship. And so that that all of that contributes to the behavior. And one thing I love, Casey, maybe you can share with the listeners, is the decision-making cycle that we look at mm-hmm. in order to look at the, the belief behind the behavior. Do you want to talk about that? Sure, sure. I mean, the best example to use for that is the experience of a of a young child and a new sibling showing up in the family. So we are trained to use this, but I think it can fit. I mean, you could see it once you know it, you can see it play out um, everywhere, which is basically, you know, we're living our life and everything's good, right? Imagine being a two or a three-year-old and everybody, you know, is celebrating you and taking you places and showing you new things and parents decide, hey, one is good, two would be better. Let's have another child. And you're two or three and you're like, you know, not really grasping the concept, but like, cool. And perhaps parents have done a really good job of um, looking at the books, watching the growing belly still. I mean, I'm sure there's science to back this up. Like, completely abstract idea to a two or a three-year-old, right? A baby is actually truly going to come out of the body and then be in existence. And we get to the day that baby arrives and that two or three-year-old is perceiving their life. They're always perceiving. They're always in their own. we, We all have our own individual perception. And so they're watching everything unfold and experiencing everything unfolding. And so slowly they move from, perception into interpretation and what are they interpreting? What is the meaning they're making of their parents all of a sudden perhaps being too busy for them or, you know, just tending to this new little person, which of course we're going to tend to the new baby, but I'm two or three. I don't understand what the the big deal is. I don't understand these big changes. So I'm going to start making some meaning around that. And always because of, like you said, that and Adlerian psychology, 
meaning making really comes to what does this mean about me? What does this mean about my world? What is this? How do I get this belonging and significant need met? And so from that place, we start to form beliefs about to belong, to survive, to exist inside of this system. I must be what? I must do what, right? And at two and three, you have not had a lot of experience with answering that question. And so then you move into that decision-making, which is either be a super helper, I guess those people exist, or perhaps get rid of this baby, which is exactly what I chose when I covered my newborn baby brother with dirt, thinking if he's just covered in dirt, he'll go away. Or become the baby and regress and all of those behaviors that, you know, a two or a three-year-old has kind of moved on from. And then they see what's happening with this baby. It's like, oh, maybe I should do that. And it's all, you know, out of consciousness, but that's, that's how I kind of describe. And we're all doing it. Like you all that are listening right now, you're moving through this cycle as you get to know Julietta and I, and and make your decisions about us and about our community. And how do you want to interact? And how does it make you feel? And so it's just happening all over the place, but what do you, what would you add to yeah, that? Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Yeah, I yes, exactly. And I, to me, just like what you said, the decision is the behavior and that it comes from, I always say kids are good perceivers and poor interpreters. You know, they take in everything, whether that you're a little or you're a teen, you're absorbing everything, making that interpretation, making a decision based on that, that drives the belief and that drives your decision. The decision is the behavior. So therefore the interpretation is this baby is very important. And so in order to be important, I need to act like a baby or I need to get rid of that baby so that I can be important, you know? And I was just thinking as you were describing that, imagining teenagers where maybe parents are getting divorced or they've been separated and now there's a new family coming in and that concept too of, here's what I'm observing. And so my interpretation is maybe I'm not as important to me or this parent is so excited about this new family that they have. And so the belief that I'm not as important anymore. And so that is going to drive some behavior to say, Hey, look at me, notice me, you know, Mm -hmm. and for them, that makes perfect sense for everyone. Whenever we make those decisions, it makes sense to us. And it's a solution to a problem that we don't, other people don't necessarily see. And Adler called this private logic because it is so internal. Like you said, Casey, everyone is coming from their own cycle after cycle that we're making all day long. We're all picking up on so many different things and interpreting it in our own way. And so I think, you know, again, yeah, whether you're an adolescent interpreting that information, that's going to drive your behavior to have a better sense of belonging with your peer group, you know, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to dress a certain way, or I'm going to act a certain way, or because that's what your identity development is supposed to do, which is to separate you from your parent. And so I'm going to do the opposite of what my mom looks like, or my dad does, or whatever it is, you know, or identify more with one parent versus another. That yeah. all makes sense. I mean, it's that sense of that belief underneath the behavior, you know, not just looking at behavior as binary, as good or bad, or because they're being manipulative or naughty, or they're trying to get back at us, but really going deeper. Like, yeah. And so I think as a, a the parenting tool, you know, then is like, that curiosity of, wow, where is this coming from? What could be going on underneath, you know? I mean, even when we hit the pandemic, Leona was just a couple of months shy of three and when every, all the gates came down and we're all home. 
and suddenly we saw typical three-year-old behaviors come out, but like destruction of property. I mean, you could list it as like a rap sheet, you know, (laughs) destruction of property, like theft, you know, larceny, like, I mean, you know, um, physical assault, like all these things that we were seeing. And we literally, Casey drew out on a flip chart the rest of the family, not with her, just like the tip of the iceberg. Here's what we're seeing because we were all getting so frustrated and angry and annoyed and like, you know, stressed. And we said, what are all the things going on underneath? You know, here she's living in an eight-year-old's room or like not access to, you know, art supplies and the stimulation from school and yeah, all these things. No, but everybody's too busy for her. You know, the sunscreen is just out and available, like all these things that when we can say, okay, how do we address those things? her lack of connection, her confusion, like then we can start to find some solutions to support that. And I think, I know you see this with adolescents too. Like when we can get curious and look at below, even mm-hmm. going back to your conversation with your daughter about tattoos, you know, where might this be coming from that she really want like that need for expression and control and yeah. marking an anniversary then you can start to to tap into that piece underneath that, you know? Yeah. Well, and I have a really good in the moment story of this. So when Rowan turned 16, we had a bunch of people. We all went out to dinner and we went to this restaurant and, you know, just like I had organized this whole thing for her and made it really special. And, and God, she was just not being very nice. Like she was visibly irritated by me. Like all of a sudden I was the mom that like, oh my God, my mom is so annoying, which I'm really cool. So that was really hard to take. And I thought to myself, like part of me, because this has been modeled for me growing up, like the look, the one biting comment, like knock it off. You're being a bitch, you know, like that was right. It was just, it was right at my surface. It was, it was what was calling for me to to be able to handle this because my feelings were hurt. And yay me, I managed to take a breath and ask myself what might be going on for her right now. And I said, are you worried that the wait staff's going to come sing happy birthday to you? And she was like, yeah, I don't, I don't want that. And I said, okay, I'm going to go to the hostess and make sure that nobody comes to sing happy birthday to you. And she was like, okay. And like everything in her body relaxed. She was able to be in, you know, better conversation with me. It was that practice of like, you know, if I stayed at the surface, if I stayed at the tip, it was like, why you need to be kind to me because look at everything I've done for you. How dare you? Versus, okay, what is actually driving this behavior, which typically has nothing to do with you, parent, and coming at it like from the back door, from the side door, so that we could actually solve the problem and help and how that filters into behavior. I love, I love how sometimes, not always, you know, sometimes we don't have to even address what's happening at the tip of the iceberg. And I would also say for parents who are listening, who are saying like, well, I don't, I don't know what's under the surface. Like ask, you have the sources right there, right? Go to the source, especially with your adolescents yeah. who might be more articulate in like sharing what's going on. And it could sound like, wow, I'm noticing that you've been pretty bothered by everyone today. And I'm just wondering what's going on. What's going on for you? How was school? How was, you know, get curious. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah. yeah. Casey, to me, it's like, it's the signal. It's like, ding, 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 ding. I'm trying to tell you something, you know? Yeah, I love that. Lots of behavior. It's code. It's code. It's code. It's communication in their own weird way. And unskilled. We'll call un- it the unskilled. unskilled sorry, better. better <laughs> unskilled way of their communication to, you know, it's just like, I'm trying to tell you something. I'm trying to communicate something to you. And so the belief behind behavior is that, ability to go under and say, okay, wow, what are they, what's really going on? And when we can remember that we do better when we feel better, that allows us to go below to really change behavior from an interpretation place, as opposed to just saying so surface. And that moment, like when you wanted to give her the look and cut her down, I mean, I'm already in my head. As if that works. That doesn't even work for me. I think you would be punished later. You just wait. Like you are going to, you are going to get, I'm going to keep this face on and you will just wait. It worked so well for my mom. (laughs) (laughs) When really you can just did it. Like delight in that little piece of candy in your mind and then let it go. Because like you said, when we can step back and really think about that's it's code for something. Maybe we know, maybe we don't know. I have a similar story where my daughter came out and was being so nasty and I had this aha. And I said, do you think the tooth fairy is never going to come to you? And she was like, yes. And I realized she'd been sharing a room with her sister that had the tooth fairy come five times and leave her little gems. And she hadn't had the tooth fairy visit her once. And I had failed to mention that, like, that she would also lose teeth at some point. So, of <laughs> course, she was mad. Like, this sucks, you know? But when we can step back, again, whether we know it's the tooth fairy or the happy birthday or not, but just understand it's code for something, you know, or the destruction of a three-year-old. Like, what is it code for? That allows us to look at different solutions and evolve and grow and connect and be in relationship. Yeah. You know, I would add there's also an invitation for parents to step into some vulnerability too, because sometimes the behavior is an indication around how they feel in relationship with us. And so I know that, you know, you know, and, and Julian and I talked about this before we hit record. So there's a whole thing around belief behind the behavior that would take way more. I mean, if you go to the joyful courage podcast, you can see, I did a whole series around the different, beliefs behind behavior inside of this container that Rudolf Dreicher created. But, you know, sometimes our kids are hurting because perhaps we have been really busy being busy. Perhaps I tend to slide into a little more demanding, a little more telling versus asking. I can, I can slide into that. And I know that I'm there when I'm getting a lot of pushback from my kids. So the vulnerability step in is, I'm wondering if it's kind of felt like I've been telling you what to do for the past four days, right? Like pulling the curtain back, like you said, pulling the curtain back and just really kind of exposing a dynamic that we can own that actually is also in the influence of the behavior that we're seeing for our kids. I think as they become adolescents, I know it's alive in the younger years too, but as they become adolescents and their bullshit meter you know, like they see through us and they're going to be ever more demanding of dignity and respect. And so when we're off the mark, that's going to show up in how they treat us. And so to be able to say, yeah, you know, I wonder if what I said earlier was invalidating to you. Can you tell me better? Like how, how might you want to hear a reminder about cleaning your room or, or what would work for you 
so that we can solve this problem in a way that feels like a win-win. You know, there is that move towards vulnerability and owning our own stuff that plays into the whole iceberg metaphor and under the surface as well. for, For sure. I mean, that's even going back to the Leona thing when her, you know, room was, you know, constantly, she was getting into her sister's stuff and all of that. We, we use the phrase a lot with the younger kids about just straight up, I take responsibility, you know, and I just said, Hey, I take responsibility for never teaching you what shelves you could play with, what things you could, I take responsibility for never actually taking the time to practice this with you. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, just starting there with, even with little kids, I mean, I think they're so vulnerable. Like that's the part for me that I think that belief behind the behavior I get really emotional about when grownups, of course, easier to see in other people, including my husband, but like, (laughs) you know, little kids, they're so, they are in a different brain development. They're literally are on a different planet. I know you feel this way with adolescents too. So we have to go join them there. You know, the understanding what's below behavior is that invitation to connect, to see from their perspective, to ask them, like you said, you know, is there a different way? It's to say like, Hey, I see you live in the land with Thomas, the train engine. And like, you know, Mary Poppins and PJ Masks, like, what's that like for you? Hey, you know, that's the connection. It's find the fun so that you can, you know, get a glimpse into their world so that they they can trust you enough to say, yeah. this is what's going on for me in their own way. I'm not saying literally, I hope you, we yeah. this, you know. Yeah, definitely. And I think the same is true. Yeah, definitely same is true for the older kids. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent with sometimes hilarious and always thought provoking experts and friends at Mindful Mama. We know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Co, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. So considering all of that, when we think about in the moment, right, here's the kid in front of us and we're in that challenging moment, what kind of tools would you say are useful? I mean, is it about, are we talking about like remembering that there's a belief behind the behavior? Is it about accessing it? Like what what would you say are in the moment tools? I would say maybe, I don't, I'm curious if we're even thinking, if we're sharing the same brain on this or if we, we probably might be coming at it from two different perspectives, but my in the moment tools are actually using specifically, as we said, we could talk about it for a long time, you know, the the whole model of belief behind the behavior. And there's a chart, (laughs) 
There is. It's very wordy. There's a chart, people. Many words on the chart. Belief behind the behavior around power struggles and revenge mode and um, annoying behavior, irritating behaviors or attention seeking. So I think for me, my in the moment tools is understanding that there isn't the same response for every behavior. So to Mm -hmm. me, my in the moment tool is how am I feeling right now? Am I feeling annoyed or irritated? That's code to let me help, notice me, involve me usefully. When Mm -hmm. what I really want to do is say, get out of my face right now, or please go play or go figure out something. So that does not come intuitively. I I actively, that is a tool I have to access to say, I'm so annoyed. Okay, actually that means draw them in closer and invite Mm -hmm. them. Don't drop what I'm doing and go do what they want, but like include them in what I'm doing drop them into my world. And then, or am I feeling super angry and challenged right now? That's a code that it's a power struggle and they are really needing control. So how do I distribute? How do I stay in that mutual respectful space Yeah, and invite them to cooperation? Say, Hey, I need your help right now. How can you help? Or, and then finally, the third tool I would say is if it does feel like I'm feeling hurt, it does feel that revenge mode. They're saying, I hate you or you're the worst or this, you know, is that, pause again, counterintuitive, but to say, wow, you are really hurting right now. That lets me know to say something like that and do something like that. lets me know that you're really hurting right now. And yeah. my, is that what you really mean to say is this and give, them, and give them the script. Yeah. For right. Yeah. Right. And then the mindfulness piece that, you know, what we circle around is, you know, being in the mindset, being willing, I geek out on willingness versus willfulness, but you know, cause and people that have listened to me for a long time have heard me say that parenting is just this ongoing personal growth and development workshop if we're willing to see it that way, if we're willing to grow, right? And I feel like the mindfulness piece is really that stepping into being willing to pause long enough to recognize I'm feeling my feels about this behavior and it would suit everybody to go deeper and to figure out what's actually driving this behavior, being vulnerable and willing enough to say like, I'm going to, I'm not going to stay here at the tip. I'm going to get curious and I'm going to get deep and I'm going to try to explore what's really happening, especially vulnerable when they're in that revenge cycle and our feelings are being hurt, being willing to say, wow, you must really be hurting right now. And Casey, what I learned on your podcast, one of your amazing episodes with Dr. Judd Brewer is Love him. quote that curiosity conquers fear. And so oh. often our parenting comes from a place of fear, you know? And so we, we want to just stop that behavior because we're afraid of the projection. They are going to turn into this psychopath or it means they're going <laughs> to- Or dead in a ditch. Dead in a ditch or they're going to come trash. You know, I mean, all these things that we say, we worry, you know, or it's going to be a reflection on us if they act that way at the restaurant or what, you know? that fear-based parenting, curiosity conquers fear. And when Mm. we can step back and say, this isn't about us, like this is just their way, that's their code with the skills they have to fulfill their need for significance and for belonging. And what are they trying to communicate? And I think that's where I, I wouldn't say we are parent whispers, but I say I'm a, I'm a translator, you know, and that kids are really, trying to communicate to you and what your language and behavior is communicating to them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So becoming sproutable to me 
I'm just going to launch us into this closing. Becoming sproutable to me in the context of, of this idea of belief behind the behavior and what's happening under the surface, becoming sproutable is that willingness to recognize that there is something more. Like it's more than just they hit or it's more than just, you know, why is my kid so angry? I got to nip this in the bud. And it's really an opportunity to uh, go deeper and to to be willing to see that there's this whole other piece um, that's calling to be heard and translated. I love that you said translated. What about you? What does becoming sproutable mean to you in this context? Yeah, in the context of the belief underneath the behavior and going deeper of what could be what could be happening, I think that it's that becoming part of um, becoming curious, like really surrendering to the potential, like surrendering to, to not having the, the final answer, like surrendering to going through this process in order to grow life skills, you know, for your kids and for you, right? It's that part too. It's like surrendering and yes. that trust, you know? Yes. Mm-hmm. I love that surrender. Speaking of tattoos, I do have the word surrender tattooed to my body. <laughs> Thank you, teen years. I needed it as a visual reminder. That just, right ta- that ties right it there. right off. <laughs> I see it. Surrender. Uh, oh, thank you, Casey. Yeah. Yes. Thank you, Jules, for being here. Thank you, listeners, for being here. The Becoming Sproutable Limited podcast will come out every Thursday for the next four weeks. And we so hope that you will continue to join us. We are thrilled to have merged Joyful Courage and Be Sproutable to one big company that serves everyone on the parenting journey and can't wait for you to check it out. Go to besproutable.com, find out about coaching and on-demand programs, live programs, memberships for nannies, preschool, teachers, parents, all the people, all the people get to find their goods at besproutable.com. And at the bottom of every webpage is a place to sign up for the newsletter. So make sure you do that so that you can stay in touch with us and as we share tips and events and all the goings on with our community. Yay. Thanks, Jules. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.